chapter 3, uh, verses 21 and 22. Uh, it's Luke 3, 21 and 22. Let's read. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit dis descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are, we thank you that we can come to you and worship you, uh, you alone are worthy. Um, Lord, we thank you for the life of your beloved son. Um, live the life that we can't live. Um, sinless, sinless life. And he died the death that we deserve, taking the wrath that we deserve, Lord. Uh, we thank you for uh, the hope that we can have through the resurrection of the Son of God, Lord. We thank you for this hope that we have that by raising him from the dead, he proves that this, this sacrifice was pleasing to you, um, and he is who he says he is, Lord. He is the Son of God. Um, Lord, we thank you for, again, this gift. Uh, we just pray that uh, you would strengthen Pastor Andrew as he speaks, Lord, or that you would use him to glorify yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, sir. Give it to So Luke 3, 21 through 22, we've been making our way through Luke a little by little each week here, and hopefully you remember the context. It appears to be a day uh, just like any other day uh, in some regards. Here's John wandering through the wilderness uh, up and down the Jordan River, and John is proclaiming uh, repentance. And he's building, if you remember, in fulfillment of prophecy, he is building a superhighway of repentance. He is preparing the way for the Lord as he proclaims uh, the truth of the Messiah. Great crowds have come to listen to him. Tax collectors, soldiers, uh, religious leaders, uh, they've asked the question, uh, what should we do? And again, he, he calls out to them to bear fruit in keeping with repentance and praise God that it would seem that many had done that. They were turning from their sin and demonstrating that uh, through the baptism, which symbolized repentance. Now, as, as a pastor, there's, there's this part of me that, that wants to kind of know how this worked to some degree. And I try and picture it in my mind's eye. Maybe you do that too. And I wonder how you picture it. I can't decide. Was, was there great crowds on like both sides of the riverbank? And as they were convicted by the Spirit, did they just walk down or step down into the Jordan? And maybe John said a few words to them. And then he would baptize them. Or was it a little more orderly? You know, was it, lot, was it this single file line? Uh, and then John would be down there in the river and would call them, call them to him. I, I, I don't know. I would love to see how that worked. Uh, but Luke doesn't care. Uh, so 
Quite frankly, we, we probably shouldn't. In fact, Luke is pretty minimalistic here. Uh, Luke 3, verses 21 and 22, is simply one verse, uh, one sentence in the Greek. And so it's very minimalistic. Uh, Luke doesn't have a, a lot to say about it. But yet there's this big question, I think it's probably on most of our minds, is why did John need to baptize the Lord Jesus Christ? Right? It's a fair question. Why did Jesus even need to be baptized? Uh, that's, that's good to wrestle with, and we are going to wrestle with that this morning. Uh, but I want you to know that that's not the focus of the text. Uh, that's secondary in the text. Uh, in fact, when you look at Luke chapter 3, verse 21, and it says, Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, it's all kind of matter of fact, Right? It's not until after he's baptized that things start happening. In fact, four things happen. Uh, he prays, the skies are split, the Holy Spirit descends, and a voice speaks. That's the emphasis. Uh, and there's so much here to think about and unpack that it might seem crazy that it's only two verses, but we're going to spend a couple weeks uh, looking at this and thinking about this and trying to unpack it. And my hope as we do that is that it greatly encourages you, that it fills you with a fresh hope, uh, fresh strength uh, to press on and keep following the Lord Jesus Christ, to follow hard after him. Because quite frankly, and we were talking about this a little bit in my Sunday school class this morning, the Christian life, it's hard. It's hard. The Christian life is difficult. It's, it's a struggle, and I, I, I don't think anyone here this morning would, would say, not for me, you know, for me the Christian life is just like a stroll on the beach. Uh, it's, it's not, it's a fight, it's, it's, it's a battle. Some days are better than others, uh, for sure, but the Christian life is hard. And we're here this morning because we need strength, we need encouragement, we need fellowship, we need the word, we need prayer, we, we need to be reminded of Christ so we might be strengthened uh, to keep on keeping on and walk the walk that the Lord has called us to live because we can't do it on our own and we're helpless and hopeless without him. I, uh, when I was uh, younger, I was doing cross country. Uh, maybe some of you guys did cross country and when we did cross-country, uh, once, once or twice a year, usually towards the beginning and then towards the end, our coach, and I swear he had like this, this evil glare and like crooked smile on his face, would drive us out to what, what you guys would probably have, have also known if you did cross-country, basically call it Death Hill or Suicide Hill, right? Like, it's like the coach spent a lot of time trying to find the steepest, most difficult, crazy road to run up, and that would be our practice that day. And I can still remember uh, that one of those days was, was unbelievably windy and rainy. And that's, it's nice when you run and the wind is at your back, or when you ride your bike and the wind is at your back. Uh, but when you run and that wind is blowing hard against you, that's hard. And again, I, I think that's the Christian life. I think the Christian life is trying to run up that hill and everything is working against you. 
the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Satan is out to seek and devour and destroy you, right? Everything is working against you in this world as you seek to walk the walk or run the race that the Lord has put before you. The Christian life is hard. It is difficult. So I've been praying and thinking all week, uh, asking that, that the Lord would use this message just to fill you with hope and help as you look to the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, if you could think about it this way, maybe, maybe you've been struggling with a besetting sin. Maybe there's been this temptation or sin that, that keeps getting the better of you. And you're in this struggle, you're in this fight with this, this temptation or this sin that keeps, keeps tripping you up. And I want to ask you this morning, how much would it help you to know that when you're in the throes of temptation or when you fall in sin again, that the Lord Jesus Christ, he's for you and not against you. How much does that help you to know that? And that's, that's what our text brings out this morning. Or, or how much would it help you to walk the walk or to run the race that the Lord Jesus Christ is calling you to if, if, if you were a prayer warrior, if you spent more time praying to him? How much would it strengthen you uh, to, to be the godly man or the godly uh, woman to, that the Lord is calling you to be if you would pray more? How much would you be filled with his love and his patience and his joy and his gentleness if you would pray more? And this text is going to challenge you in that way. It's, it's going to strengthen you in that way and encourage you in that way. Or do you think it would help you uh, if, if you walked in the empowering of the Holy Spirit? Do you think that would help you? Do you think that would help your marriage? Uh, do you think that would help you have a great witness at work? Uh, do you think that would help you get slow to anger? Uh, do you think that would help you to be patient and kind and gentle and gracious? Absolutely it would. We need more of the spirits. And maybe this morning, again, you feel overwhelmed. You feel like you're drowning. You feel like you're at the end of the rope. And, the, and you say, man, I, I need the spirit. I need his help. I, I, I need all of that. And this text is, that, is there for you. This text is about that. Or my last question is, do you think it might help you to walk worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ, to follow hard after him if you knew how much the Father loves you? Do you think that would help you? If you knew that the Father delights in you, that the Father takes pleasure in you. Our text is teaching that this morning. And you can already see why that's going to take a couple weeks to unpack that, huh? In fact, I'm pretty sure I could preach a message on all four of those things, and it would be worth our time. But we'll be in Luke for 10 years at this rate, which isn't a bad thing. <laughs> uh, but this morning, we're going we're gonna to start digging into this, and we're just going to start with that question, why did Jesus get baptized? Why did Jesus get baptized? And if you're puzzled about that, so was John the Baptist, you're in good company. If, if you were to look at Matthew, I'm just going to reference it real quick, but in Matthew 3, verse 13 and following, it says, as a parallel to our text, it says, Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And it says, John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. Do, do you come to me? Right? John's confused. Remember, John's baptism symbolized what? Repentance. Well, we have a problem then, right? Because Jesus is sinless. 
He's the spotless lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. He's the righteous one. He has no need of repentance. What's he doing getting baptized? He loved God constantly with with all of his heart and soul and strength and mind. He, He loved others as he loved himself. He never ceased to honor his father and mother. His conduct was always above reproach. There wasn't a single day where where he ever had to say, Father, Today, forgive me, my, my imagination went wild, or, or forgive me, I, I lost my cool with Peter today, right? He never had to pray anything like that. He was sinless. Every day he was tempted, every day he was without sin. And so, John, is, you come to me to be baptized? I need to be baptized by you. John sees it as, as inappropriate, and I think if you're thinking through this, there's part of you too that's, that's kind of like, yeah, this, this doesn't seem right. What's going on? What's the deal here? And yet Jesus says to John in Matthew chapter 3, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And it says John consented. So let's work through this. I, I think there's a few things happening here Uh, for why Jesus had to be baptized. Uh, Number one is that Jesus coming to John showed his approval of John the Baptist, right? That Jesus being baptized by John shows his approval for John the Baptist's ministry. It validated or bore witness that John really was from God, It validates that. It endorses him. John's ministry was true. John wasn't acting of his own accord. He wasn't some free agent. He wasn't just some some crazy guy uh, dressed up in a crazy fashion, wandering around the wilderness, rambling some crazy things. Jesus being baptized by him shows that he really was God's man preparing the way for the Messiah. And remember also that John was a prophet in a long line of prophets. You can trace him and the long line of prophets all the way through the Old Testament. So I think there's even something a little bit more going on here is not only is Jesus validating the ministry of John, he's validating the long line of prophets. Because if you read what John preaches in Luke 3, and if you were to go back and read Malachi or Micah or Amos or Jeremiah or Isaiah, you're going to find out something. You're going to find out John is preaching the same message they're preaching. John uh, and all the prophets would speak of of God and his impending judgment or wrath. Uh, They would summon them to repentance and that God is their only hope. And so I think Jesus being baptized by John, he's basically saying amen to all that John does and to that long line of prophets. The second thing that I think is going on here in our text in Luke chapter 3, verse 21, is that it's very, very fitting that John... Whose, whose ministry was to prepare the way for the Messiah, it's very fitting that the apex or climax of his ministry is the baptism of him who he was preparing the way for. It's very interesting to think of it that way because the baptism is Jesus initiating or launching into uh, his public ministry. 
And so it's very fitting, I think, that John the Baptist, again, who's preparing the way for him, has been saying, repent, building that superhighway of repentance, uh, whose, whose ministry has been about decreasing so that the Messiah might increase. And, and it's, it's, it's significant and fitting and right that at the end of his ministry, essentially, uh, he baptizes Jesus. And from there on out, the spotlight's on Jesus. John's pretty much out of the picture from here on out. The third item I would mention just quickly that I think we see happening here is just the importance of baptism itself. If Jesus was baptized and then commands all who believe in him to be baptized, then I think baptism is pretty important, isn't it? Baptism is pretty significant. Baptism isn't one of those things where it's like, eh, when I get to it. Well, it's an important step. It's an important part of following the Lord Jesus Christ. For sure, it doesn't save you. But it's a great picture and representation of the gospel. It's declaring to the world that you follow him, that you love him, that you belong to him, that your life is not your own. Have you been baptized? Are you trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, but you're an unbaptized believer? What are you waiting for? Follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Follow his example. Follow and obey his command to be baptized in his name. And that leads us to the fourth thing that I think is going on uh, with Luke 3, verse 21, and Jesus being baptized. And I think by far the most important thing is this. Jesus is identifying with sinners. If you've missed everything else I've said so far, get this one down. Why was Jesus baptized. He was baptized that he might be identified with sinners. Baptism is all about identification. When you are baptized as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. You are testifying to the world, again, that your life no longer belongs to you, that you belong to another. Your life is caught up in Christ. So Jesus Though sinless, though having no need to repent, he is identifying with those who do need to repent. He's identifying with sinners. Picture Jesus standing on the banks of the Jordan waiting to be baptized. And again, was it, was it single file? Was it, was it this large, large crowd? I, I don't know, but picture Jesus there, Right? He's standing on those banks somewhere, somehow, waiting to be baptized. He's surrounded by sinful sinners waiting to go down into the waters to symbolize their repentance. Standing all around Jesus, shoulder to shoulder, are these idolaters and blasphemers, greedy ones, proud boasters, surrounded by all these different sinful sinners. And here's Jesus outwardly, utterly indistinguishable from them. Right? Because he doesn't come in this huge chariot with 18 horses in front of it, right? He doesn't have a halo above his head. Here's Jesus in an everyday kind of setting on the banks of the Jordan, surrounded by sinners, identifying with sinners. It's pretty remarkable. 
It's pretty remarkable. So what's happening is, I believe, Jesus is being numbered with the transgressors. He's standing with them in solidarity and being baptized. He's identifying himself with sinners. I think he's connecting himself with all of John's baptisms because it's only by him that all those who have been baptized by John have any meaning whatsoever. John, according to Luke 3.18, has been preaching the good news. The good news is bound up in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no good news without him. And so all those that John has baptized, it means nothing if, this, if Jesus isn't the Messiah. And so Jesus is connecting uh, with all those baptisms. He is the very realization of what John has been preaching, the good news of forgiveness of sins. And that forgiveness of sin is made possible by this Jesus who here is being baptized, being identified with these sinners, and who in just a few years later, three years later, will be baptized again. He'll be baptized in the fountain of blood. He'll be baptized in the suffering and the agonies of the cross. So you see, the, the, the answer to why, why did Jesus need to be baptized, it's, it's the same answer to the question, why did Jesus need to die on the cross as a criminal? Because he wasn't a criminal, he was sinless. The answer is the same. Jesus needed to stand where sinners stand. He needed to receive what sinners deserve so that he might give them life and adoption into the family of God. The, the choice that Jesus made at baptism to fulfill all righteousness was the same choice he makes when he, when he goes to Calvary and he carries that cross and he's hung on that cross and bears the wrath of God for our sin being made sin for us, taking responsibility for our sin before God. This is our Savior. You see how this gets us right to the gospel. Jesus is not ashamed to identify with sinners. Jesus stands in their midst. Jesus is surrounded by sinners, and he loves them, and he's willing to be reckoned a sinner so that sinners can be saved. This is great news because we're all sinners. Don't be afraid to come to Jesus. Come to him with all your guilt and all your shame. In all your sin, don't be afraid to acknowledge that sin and, and your need for repentance. This is why Jesus came. He came to be identified with your sin and mine. That sin that you hope no one ever finds out about. That, that sin that causes you the, the deepest shame you can imagine, those, those sins that maybe in your mind you think they, they shoot you way past God's grace, those sins that would utterly ruin you and wreck you if anyone else ever found that out. Jesus identified with that. This is why Jesus came. He took those sins on himself Jesus has identified with you in your struggle against sin. I'm just trying to emphasize in any way I can, you're not going to surprise Jesus with your sin. No matter the sin, he identified with it. He can redeem you from it. He can and will forgive you for it. And when you turn to him and confess it and repent from it, you are never out of the reach of God's grace. 
You're never out of the reach of the Savior. He's never shocked and surprised and like, whoa, I can't do anything with you. That's really messed up. No, he identified with you. He loves you. He came to redeem you. Jesus is saying, trust me. I was baptized with the baptism of sinners. I came to take away the sins of the world. I came to take away the ugly, the despicable, the humiliating, the shameful sins. Trust in me. Come to me. I'm not against you. I'm for you. I'm for you. I'll save you. I'll forgive you. I'll cleanse you. I'll, decl- I'll make you righteous. I'll, I'll, I'll fill you with the fullness of God. And I'll empower you and strengthen you to live the life that God created you to live, and that you've turned away from, from your sin. Trust me. Follow me. Believe in me. That's what Jesus is saying and doing when he gets baptized. Romans 8.1 There is, therefore, love this verse, now, so when? Right now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How is that possible? Because Jesus is in solidarity with you. Jesus identified with you. Jesus identified with you so closely that he took your condemnation. And so that by faith in him, you're left with nothing but his righteousness. That's how closely he identified with you. That's why he was baptized. Isn't this incredible? Doesn't this cause your heart to swell with joy and wonder? And I, and I, I hope that there's any here who have yet to place your faith in Christ that such truth as this would cause you to run to him. Run to him with your sin. Give it to him. Let him cleanse you. Let him forgive you. But, but, but Christian, as, as, as we know and we talked about, the, the, the Christian life is hard. And there are times when Satan tempts you to what? To despair to give up. He tells you you're a waste of space, you're a waste of time, you're worthless, you're helpless, you're hopeless. He likes to push you down and kick you when you're down, right? And maybe sometimes you're pretty good at kicking yourself and beating yourself up. Maybe you got angry again last night or maybe late at night you gave in to the temptation again or maybe you've gone weeks or months without reading God's word or, or praying. Maybe you've just been spiritually lazy. Maybe, maybe some inappropriate words have slipped out again. Whatever it is, remember this. Jesus is for you. He's not against you. He loves you. He's in solidarity with you. Jesus took on the baptism of sinners. He identified with you. By faith, he has borne your sins. On the cross, there are no accusations left. Sin and Satan have been defanged. That's our Savior. So what you can say to Satan when, when he tempts you to despair, and, I, and I've, I've, I've done this a fair amount of times myself, I'm, I'm certainly far, 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 far from, from perfect. Uh, so sometimes what I'll even say to prayer when I get tempted, when, you know, sometimes your mind wanders and you remember some stupid, crazy things you've done in the past, or maybe even just five minutes before that, right? And you're, and you're beating yourself up over that. A, a good thing to do, I think, is this, to say, yes, I sinned. Yes, I am guilty. 
I sin every day, and, and actually, I'm a whole lot worse than you say I am, Satan. I'm a whole lot worse than you think I am, but, but Satan, you can't rejoice over me because Jesus, he's on my side. Because Jesus identified with me. He delivered me. He rescued me. There's a song that catches this in a powerful way. It's that song, Before the Throne of God Above, uh, where the, the lyrics go, When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. And I, I love this line, Because my sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Why did Jesus get baptized? That's why. That's amazing stuff. The other thing I want to talk about this morning, because that, that all happens before or during he gets baptized. Remember, there's four things that happen after he gets baptized. He prays, the sky split, the spirit descends, the father speaks. So this morning we're going to wrap things up by talking about prayer. The next week, Lord willing, we're going to hit those other, those other things. But let's, let's just quickly consider the praying of Jesus. Because uh, you see in verse 21, now when all the people were baptized, when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying. Luke's the only uh, author of the Gospels that throws in that phrase that Jesus was praying after he gets baptized. And of course, this is a good time to be praying. This is a very strategic point. It's the beginning or the launching of his public ministry. And again, we talked about what happens while he's praying, some pretty amazing things. But what I, what I want us to see here is that as you read through Luke, and as you read through Acts, remember those, those two books are companion books, they go together, you'll find again and again and again through Luke and Acts this connection between praying and God speaking. Or you could say praying and revelation. And so remember at the beginning of Luke, uh, you have Zechariah, who is John the Baptist's father, he's in the temple praying. And while he's in the temple praying, he's visited with a, a message from God that he's going to have a son and he'll prepare the way for the Messiah. Remember also the prophetess Anna, who's in the temple every day doing what? Praying. And then she has a special word to say to the Messiah when the parents bring him in to be circumcised. Uh, again and again through Acts, you're going to read of God's people praying and then God's word moving and spreading rapidly. So there's this very neat connection between praying and God's word. And here in our text, Jesus is praying. The heavens split, the spirit comes down, God speaks, the voice of God, prayer and the word of God. The Holy Spirit is often also connected in response to prayer. On Luke chapter 11, verse 13, we're actually told to, to do this, the heavenly Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. So you see the connection between asking and the spirits. You also have Acts chapter 4, one of my more favorite passages in Acts chapter 4, the apostles are praying. They've just been persecuted, and they pray for boldness to keep proclaiming the word of God. And after they've pray, prayed that, we read in Acts chapter 4 that the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So there's this remarkable, crucial link between prayer 
God's Word, and the Spirit. And then as you look at the life of Jesus, we see that Jesus was a prayer warrior. Of course, he's, he's praying at his baptism. Uh, we know that he prays the entire night on the mountain before he chooses his 12 apostles. We know that it's while he's praying, the transfiguration occurs. Remember that? Where his clothes and face begin to beam like radiant, dazzling white light. Uh, the 72 that he sends out when they come back, guess what he's doing? He's praying. Probably the implication being he was praying for them the whole time they're ministering. In Luke chapter 11, verse 1, Jesus is praying and the disciples walk up to him and say, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? And you get that, right? Because he's constantly praying and they want to be able to pray like him. And uh, in Luke 22, verse 31, Jesus prays for Peter saying, Simeon, Simeon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers." What's Jesus doing in the Garden of Gethsemane just hours before he's crucified? He's praying. What is Jesus doing while he's on the cross? He's praying. After Jesus uh, dies and is resurrected, he meets the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Guess what he does with them? He prays. And then as you read the end of Luke in Luke 24, and he gives his final commission to go out and proclaim the name of Christ to all nations, he prays with them. A lot of prayer going on. Luke 5.16, in addition to all of that, says that Jesus would withdraw to desolate places and pray, seeming to imply that a regular pattern or habit of Jesus was he would often go to a desolate place and pray. Now, I'm just going to draw the simple application from that. If Jesus, who is the sinless Son of God, has to pray and prays that much, how much more do I need and do you need as sinful sinners to pray? If the beloved Son of God communes with God in prayer so frequently, how much more should we? Regular time in prayer is the lifeline to your relationship with God. Failure to pray is like trying to get through your marriage without ever talking to your spouse. How's that go for you? Not so great, huh? Maybe for a few hours you think that works pretty good, but it doesn't, does it? It's pretty hard to be on the same page and to walk together if you're not talking to each other. So Scripture urges us and commands us even, pray without ceasing. We can all grow here, right? I've, I've, I've thought to myself and said a few times that, man, if I ever, for whatever reason, just wanted to preach a message to, uh, to convict, all i got to do is talk about prayer, because we all have a lot of room to grow here. My aim with this isn't to convict you. It's, again, to help you see that if, if Jesus has such an effective ministry and he's launching his ministry here at this point and he's praying, just, just to encourage you and say, if you want to be effective as a husband or a wife or as a brother or a sister or effective as a witness for Christ or effective in teaching and serving, whatever it is you do, whatever you put your hand to, if you want to be effective, man, if Jesus was praying, we really need to be praying, Right? That it's just the lifeline to that relationship with him. And I, again, I think we can all grow here. I think a lot of us are frustrated here. I think American culture works very much against us. It's not friendly when it comes to learning to pray because the American culture is go, 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 go. That if you're not producing something, if you're not somehow being effective in, in, in accomplishing something, then it's a waste of time. What are you doing, right? And prayer is not go, 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 go. Prayer slows you down. A prayer to some feels like a waste of time because we're not doing something. 
We're praying. And I want you to hear this. It's okay to live a busy life. It is. It's okay to have a busy life. I live a very busy life. You all live a a busy life. Jesus lived a busy life. If Jesus was alive today, I can't even imagine if he had a phone or social media. I mean, that would be ringing and dinging like 24-7. But here's what Jesus did not have. He did not have a busy heart. And so I think it's, it's okay to have a busy life. It's not okay to have a busy heart. There's a big difference between the two, isn't there? Do you have a distracted heart? Do you have an overwhelmed heart? If that's you, if you're here this morning, you do have that busy, distracted, overwhelmed heart, come to Jesus with all your weariness. Come to him with your exhaustion. Come to him with your overwhelmed life. Come to him recognizing you can't do anything on your own and to be foolish to try and do anything on your own. Come to him realizing you don't have the resources for life. Come to him with all your helplessness. Come to him like a little child and pray to him. Pray to him about anything and everything. Sometimes people share with me that they struggle praying because while they're praying, their mind is racing all over the place. And my encouragement to that is always, that's great, pray about whatever your mind's racing to. Right? Pray about that. Put it before the Lord in prayer and trust him with it. Pray with him about anything and everything. Spend time with your heavenly Father who loves you. Recognize that prayer is not this thing you check off your list. Recognize that prayer is about relationship. It's not about duty. It's about drawing closer to your Father who loves you. And man, I wish this morning I had time to get to when, when the Father says, and you, my beloved son, you am well pleased, because he loves you. If you're in Christ, he's speaking those words over you, and I'll I'll unpack that more next week. But uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, let's be praying regularly. Pray regularly for your church family. Uh, This morning in the members meeting, uh, Josiah, like I talked about, is going to talk with you about and reveal our online directory. I'm excited about that for mostly one reason. Online directories or any kind of church directory is an awesome prayer tool, right? You can use that. I mean, that eliminates any excuse to say, well, I don't know who to pray for. Just pull out your directory and pray. You say, I don't know them. Who cares? God does. Pray for them. Pray for them. Love them. Pray that the Spirit would do a mighty work in their hearts. Pray for your church family. Pray for our church ministries. Uh, Pray for our counseling ministry. Uh, Pray for our Word of Life ministry. Pray for Sunday school. Pray for the ministry of Sunday morning. Uh, Pray for a youth group. Uh, pray for all of our, our various ministries. Pray for VBS, right? What a wasted effort if we spend all this time and money and energy on it, but we don't pray. Pray for Josiah and others as they organize that. Pray for the leaders. Pray for the kids. Pray for the families that are represented with it. Pray for the upcoming Invite Your One, right? The last Sunday of, of next month and July and August, June, July, August, we're doing outdoor service as Invite Your One. The encouragement is we all know one person, family, family member, a coworker, neighbor, whoever who doesn't know Christ, that's the Sunday to invite. I mean, we want you to invite them every Sunday, but that's a, that's a special Sunday where we're really wanting you to do that. Are you praying about that? Pray for the Lord to lay some people on your heart and then go invite them. Trust the God. Act out in faith. Pray, pray for that. Pray for our missionaries. 
Uh, pray for your family, pray for your husband, pray for your wife, your grandkids, uh, pray for our community, pray for our nation, our world. What a privilege it is to pray. Every ethne, right, you're going to be getting a newsletter in your emails. Pray for our nation, for God to be growing his church, building his church. I have a lot of growing myself to do in prayer, but I learned a long time ago, I do my best pastoring by prayer. Seems like I always need to relearn that lesson also. <laughs> it's easy just again, like I said, the American culture get caught up in doing or programs or methods and think, well, if I just have the right method, the right formula, the, the right whatever, then God will bless that. I don't know why we think that. That's not scriptural. But I do my best pastoring in prayer. I do my best counseling in prayer. I can't change people's hearts. You can't change people's hearts. You can't change your own heart. God grants repentance. So we do our best counseling, our best everything in prayer. I can pray for you and I can, I mean, I can counsel you. I can preach God's word. I can do all these things. But if I'm not praying, it's powerless. God's God's spirit alone opens up doors that I could never open. And that's, that's true for you if, you if you lead a business, if you own a business, or if you're a school teacher, or whatever your calling or profession might be, you're never any better than your prayer. If you want to be effective in those places and ministering for the Lord and having that salt and light influence and bringing praise and glory to our Father, which we want, right? Then we need to be people of prayer. It's true as a parent also. I do my best parenting by prayer. There's this quote uh, from Paul Miller who wrote a book called The Praying Life. It's a great book. It's in our resource center, I believe. Uh, he says this, quote, we instinctively believe that if we have the right biblical principles and apply them consistently, our kids will turn out right. But he says that didn't work for God in the garden. Perfect environment, perfect relationship, still God's two children went bad. Until we become convinced that we can't change our child's heart, we will not take prayer seriously. So maybe you're here this morning and you're kind of at the end of your rope with your children. Uh, and it seems like nothing gets through to them and you're repeating the same thing you thought you'd never have to say ever in your life and now you've said it like a hundred times to them. I'm not the only one, right? Pray. You do your best parenting by prayer. If my mom and dad were here, they would tell you uh, that they were at the end of the rope with me. I was a rebellious teenager, full of anger, uh, full of hatred, uh, hated anyone and everyone. You would not have wanted to be around me. You probably still don't want to be around me, but you especially would not want to be around me uh, then. Uh, I had a lot of nasty things to say. I said very many hurtful things to my mom and dad. I know many nights I made them cry, and some nights I tried to do that. It was my mission. I wanted to make them cry. Jerk. Total jerk. You know what they did for me? They loved me. They were for me, not against me. And they prayed for me. They prayed for me. And I praise the Lord, the change that he can make, where now my mom and dad are probably my best friends on the face of this planet. That's the power of prayer. If you feel like you're facing this helpless, hopeless situation, pray. Pray that God would change hearts. Pray that God would change your heart as a husband or a wife. You're going to be your best a father. You're going to be your best husband, your best wife, your best sister, your best brother through 
prayer. Let's follow Jesus' example and pray. You need as much prayer as you do to breathe. And when you pray, you can breathe a little bit easier. So that's God's word this morning. Why did Jesus need to get baptized? To identify with you. So if the Spirit's prodding in your heart and convicting your heart somewhere about some kind of sin, come to Jesus. He's not surprised by it. He loves you. He identifies with you. Come to him. He will cleanse you. If you repent from that and you believe in his finished work on the cross, he will redeem you. He will strengthen you. He will give you his spirit. You'll begin, like a, like a baby, to cry out, Abba, Father. You'll know him as the, Lord, the Father, as your personal father, adopted into his family. The privilege of prayer, speaking with him any moment about any issue, any situation. What an amazing Savior we have. What a great work here. So I, I, I hope, my prayer as I share it has been that as we think about, as Jesus begins his ministry, and this is the things that he did to begin his ministry, and we're all in ministry somehow, I, I hope that these two things, Jesus identifies with you and the importance of prayer, encourage you this morning and strengthen you this morning to keep on keeping on for his praise and his glory, to keep running up that hill full on as strong as you can with the spirit and prayer and his word at your back, pushing you forward, and Jesus right there identifying with you and strengthening you. Amen? So our conclusion this morning is going to be a little bit different. I've asked, in light of the emphasis on prayer in our text, uh, I've asked a few individuals that they would come up and pray with us and for us publicly. Uh, so Josiah is going to come up, and he's going to pray just for our church in general. And then after he prays, Virginia is going to come up. Virginia is going to pray for our church families. And then after that, Merlin will come up. And Merlin's going to pray for some local churches uh, and also for church planting in general. And then Chad and Gina are going to come up to wrap us up, and they're going to pray for just outreach in our community. Uh, so we're just gonna, I thought it would be good to end the service that way. Uh, with, with an emphasis on prayer, let, let's put our, our feet where our mouth is. Huh? So Josiah, we'll need a mic. Would you join with me as we pray? God, thank you so much for this message that we just received from Andrew, which is just so encouraging because, um, because many of us, God, we doubt um, the, the, the surety of your love for us. Um, and we don't have that kind of relationship that, Lord, I'm, I'm repenting of this right now the relationship that I could have with you where I am dependent in everything on you, that I, go, that I come to you in prayer um, for every need, just recognizing that nothing happens except by you. And God, when, um, when our church, when we set out to do things, we, we've got nothing without you. We have, we have no ability to make an impact for your kingdom and so we're coming to you, and I just want to ask that um, that you would help humble our hearts, that we'd recognize again today the value of prayer, the importance of coming um, humbly to you and just recognizing that, yeah, that we have n no ability um, without you. God, I, I want to ask for unity. Um, Lord, using your own words that you prayed in the garden, um, God, just can I pray these words again 
um, for our church that you prayed f- that you've already prayed for us um, that that we would be fully one even as you are one with our Father and that we would be of the same mind and the same heart that we'd be fully united in purpose. God, I just ask that um, for everybody here who's actually a Christian and who's put their faith and trust in you, that they would recognize that in your eyes, there is no, there is no cause for division. Zero. And that they would be convicted of the fact that, that we, are, we are unified in you in the same way a husband and a wife are united. Um, in the same way that you are united with your father, which is just beyond even wrapping our minds around, that we would see each other in that same way and that we would repent of our tendency to be cold towards people, God, to be, to be disunified, to have arguments, to, to be petty, and I just pray that you would help our church to, to be one, just like you said you want us to be. And, and I know, Lord, that that doesn't mean that we're going to be one with, with people who don't know you, God, because there's a, there's a big gap there. Um, help us not to be one with, with the world and with, with sin. Um, God, I also pray that you would help us as a church to be making disciples. Um, that you've said that that's our main purpose, that you want us to be for your glory, getting people who don't know you, teaching them about you, helping them come to know you. God, uh, Andrew shares about baptism this morning, and we want to be a church where people are baptized, God, and I don't think we, we do enough baptisms. I think your heart for our community is greater than our heart for our community. And I, I want, Lord, I just ask that you'd grow our heart that we become more um, burdened for the people in our community who don't know you, that we'd, we'd go to them with, you, with this message that, that even though right now they're, they're separated from you completely and cut off, that's, that they can be joined back to you, that they can have the spirit in their life, that they can have victory over their sin, that there is hope. And I, I just ask that we'd be that kind of a church. Um, God, I pray also that you'd give us a hunger for studying the gospel because we just don't know it well enough to share it in a compelling way. I just pray that we'd, we'd grow deeper in our knowledge of, of what you've done for us, that it just would bubble out of us, like talking about our favorite car or, or our favorite TV show. I just pray that kind of hunger and depth would, would happen. And, and also, Lord, um, for those of us um, who are leading different ministries. I wanted to specifically pray for Andrew because I know he's um, he's in the front lines and he's getting hit by the bullets before we do. And I just pray for him to be cl- staying close to you in your word, um, for his family, for his, his relationship with his wife, um, for his dependence on you to be strong and deep and that he could lead us in that way. And, I, and as he shares your word, Lord, in, our, in counseling, in, in, um, in his preaching, in, in deacon's meetings, in, in just conversations on the street with people, that he would be an, an example of that, not be proud, but just be full of you. Um, 
God, I also pray that for each of the other ministry leaders here at the church, God, even people like like um, Sharon Boyle and Valerie and Gina who work with um, organizing things, that, they, that as they have conversations with people, that as, they're, as they become the face of your church, your, your people, as they interact as that ambassador for you, that they would just be, again, full of your spirit and able to share your word and um, just a good example of not only of us as a church, God, because we don't want the glory, God, take the glory. Um, help us to give that to you and, and, and just help them to be those kind of ambassadors for you. And um, fi- finally, um, God, I just pray that this would be, Andrew's message was challenging to me in, in a way of, him just being vulnerable and being himself and and that I just feel like sometimes we can't share when he's talking about these sins that if if anybody found out we would be devastated and we'd feel like our whole life flipped upside down the things we hide from each other I pray those would not be hidden anymore because again just because we are one in you God we have no reason to hide from each other we're all sinners God we recognize that Lord that there's not a difference um, between us in that way that we each have our own struggles. And I just pray that this church would be become a place where people feel open, not to just air out every last detail and, and become gross or altruistic about it, but that they would just be able to be genuine with each other, um, that we could just be real um, I just pray that that would be seen in our community and that people who've wrecked their lives would feel excited even to come here because they know they will be listened to and and accepted and they they know that they will not be condemned and they know that, that we are open about those kinds of things. And... So, God, I just ask all of that um, because I want to see your your church grow, and I want to see um, see each of us grow in you. And so, I pray that we'd just continue to, uh, like Paul prayed for the Colossian church, that we would be become more and more worthy of the gospel, that we'd be um, f- full of the knowledge of you, and 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 that we would know you deeply. And that that love that that Sir Andrew shared about this morning would just free us to love each other and to love our community and to to just be different, um, to really be set free from sin and the world. And I just pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Just for a little encouragement to begin with, um, in our bulletins, on the back, you have people that here are here and their families, and we can pray, use this as a prayer request. But I want to, just to let each person know that God loves you. In fact, whether you're God's child or not, he always has loved you. He never began. He simply always has. And I remember the verse that saved me 
For God so loved the world, that's everybody, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And that's, that was the key, shall not perish. I knew I was going to heaven right then and there. So um, when you get up in the morning, when I get up in the morning, we all face a battle. And his name is Satan. He is real, the devil, the adversary. And so I often think, okay, Lord, Ephesians chapter 6, 1 through 18, no, 10 through 18. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. So when I pray, the Lord has taught me to uh, kneel briefly. It's not easy for me to kneel right now, uh, but just to show uh, humbleness before the Lord God. He's so great. But then I um, would like to take as an example... As I pray, Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. And this was Paul's prayer for the Colossian church. They had trouble in worshiping angels, thinking they were better than Jesus Christ. Um, so no matter what problems we have or if we're rejoicing in the Lord, the first place to go is to the Lord. And I, I think that we can pray better and not just a self-prayer, Lord, help me with this, I need this, self-centered, but it will focus us on Jesus Christ, the Father, who God really is, if we will get into the Word first and get his thoughts into our mind. So uh, Paul was praying, and I'll read this, and you can close your eyes, but it's a prayer. We have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Christians, you're not a, a sinner. You sin, yes, but you are a saint. And if God calls us saints, why do we call ourselves sinners? We sin but we are able to come to the Lord Jesus, confess that, thank him that he loves us, he forgives very quickly. He loves us too much to just let us go. And so he went on to say, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the light, inheritance of in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he has rescued you from the domain of darkness 
and has transferred you to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have, present tense, forgiveness. We have repent, um, redemption and the forgiveness of sin. So that's encouraging me, encouraging to me because I used to think um, I would lash my back for, oh boy, I did it again. Until finally one day I realized I was made in the image of God, you just like you as, as his child, for a very close-up, intimate relationship with him, God the Father, the Lord Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And I also found out, here I'm preaching instead of praying, but <laughs> this, is, this is just on my heart. I cannot live the Christian life. You cannot live the Christian life. As a Christian, you cannot. Jesus said to his disciples before going back to heaven, stay here in Jerusalem until the power on high comes. So it's the Holy Spirit that has to live out the life of Jesus Christ in and through us. I am the vine, he said, you are the branches. And so as we abide in him, we bear much fruit. Lord, <clears throat> we want to thank you for the many gospel-preaching churches that are in our area, in our counties around us. We thank you for them. Lord, we pray that you might protect them, their pastors, their leaders, uh, as they serve you, Lord, that the gospel may go out clearly. We know that Satan is out to attack, and certainly he attacks the local church because that's the bastion of truth that you have uh, uh, ordained upon this earth. But Lord, we want to pray specifically for this church, first of all, Pastor Andrew, Pastor Josiah, their families, protect them from the evil one. But Lord, uh, again, we want to pray for Hickory Corners Bible Church, for Pastor Jeff, Pastor Rich, Cedar Creek Bible Church, Pastor Bob, Pastor Ethan, First Baptist Church of Hastings, Pastor Matt that's there, Unity Baptist up at Wayland, Pastor Kelly, Watson Bible Church that's looking for a pastor, First Baptist Church of Otsego, Pastor Paul, Pastor Steve, Allegan Bible, uh, Pastor John that's there, First Baptist Church of Allegan, Pastor Nathan, Pullman Bible Church, Pastor Jeff, Merson Bible Church, Pastor Allen, Pastor Jim, and Pastor Paul, and Pastor Dan, who's doing the interim work at Standell Baptist now, for Trowbridge Bible, for Pastor Michael that's there. There's others. I'm sure we've missed some. But, Lord, we thank you for these who are lighthouses in a dark world. Keep them true to you. Keep them focused on the gospel and protect them from the evil one. Then, Lord, we also want to pray for the church planning effort in our, in our country and around the world. We know that you have ordained that this is the means of getting the gospel out is by establishing new ch churches. And so uh, that was established in the pattern with Paul and Barnabas, the Antioch Church. And we know that this is what we're supposed to do is start churches. And certainly our, the, the, in our country, the moral uh, dive that we've taken and the growing population that we have, even given the fact that our country is growing numerically, 
Uh, according to statistics, 4,000 churches close their doors every year. Uh, we're going backwards. We're not getting the job done. So we need to start churches. And the most effective means of evangelizing a neighborhood is by establishing a local church. And so, Lord, we pray that churches might be established, that we might get the job done by establishing local churches. And, Lord, there are churches that are starting in our land and around the world. For those new churches that are certainly going to be a focus of attack again by the evil one, may you protect the leadership, protect the people, uh, help them to keep the main thing the main thing, not just to meet together but to spread the gospel. Churches grow by seeing people saved. Lord, help them get the gospel out, get the job done. Lord, we're looking forward to your coming, and that could be any day. In the meantime, help us to be about our Father's business. Thank you. Well, as a past missionary chair uh, family, Gina and I both recognize the importance of not only communication with those missionaries, but praying over their ministries constantly. So let's lift our missionaries up. Our Heavenly Father, this morning we just pray for Jeff and Robin with ABWE, God's Helping Hands. We pray for Tim and Rebecca Cornish with RBM. We pray for Ken and Sharon Floyd with MARBC. We pray for Emmanuel and Hannah Jabara in India with BMM. We pray for David and Sonia Ketchum with LEAD, L-E-A-D. Lord, along with that, we pray for the opportunities that Orangeville Baptist Church has for just our local out outreach. Lord, we pray specifically for Family Promise and for that ministry to help out those who are in, are in need and in transition. And we thank you for all those that work with that. For the food pantry and the delivery of food on a weekly basis, that need is great out there. And what a, a tremendous way to put a little gospel in their hand with food in their belly. And we thank you for that. Heavenly Father, we just do come before you and thank you for our missionary families that serve locally and around the world, like Rory and Christy, who uh, more who run the Village of Light in Togo, and we just thank you for them and that um, Zanchers and Robarts were able to go and be an encouragement to them. I hope that today is also a great encouragement to them as we do the fundraiser and help them with monetary needs that they have. Uh, next, we would like to lift up Dale and Anne-Marie Nolan out of Taiwan and Word of Life. Uh, they have a little girl. They're very busy, and they're waiting for their second um, baby to arrive soon. We just lift them up and ask that you be with them and have the delivery go well and the baby be completely healthy. We thank you for the visit with Grad and Emily while they've been here, Lord. And we thank you for their ministry in the Dominican Republic for SCORE. And we just ask that you give them a safe trip back on the 26th so that they can continue their ministry. We pray for Al and Missy Torres of RBM. And thank you for Al's involvement with our Vacation Bible School and 
Mike and Fran Van Bruggen with Word of Life, and also, Lord, our outreach. Um, Vacation Bible School is near and dear to my heart because that's where I first uh, heard your word. And I pray for our VBS this year, Camp of Champs, and that it um, draw lots of people and that is an encouragement to not only the kids but the parents and families too. We pray for Orangeville Community Picnic on the 17th of July where we are a beacon of light in this community. And I know that we are excited to do that for them and that I just pray that it's a great day of just fun and fellowship with those around us. We thank you for the baby pantry that's getting a good start, and we just ask that you continue to bless that ministry and invite your one, um, another outreach opportunity to invite people to hear your word. And we just lift up all these things and this day to you in Jesus' name.